But hey, let's, here's what we're going to talk about tonight. When the body is sick. Anybody sick in here tonight? <laughs> you wouldn't raise your hand anyway, right? You'd say, no, I'm fine. Um, but h- how many of you have had this experience where um, we're talking about the body of Christ, but you, you know, every church, you, you realize this, right? And we can be honest about this because we're not really in a season of problems, but I mean, churches have problems. You know why that is? Because they have people in them. That's like when they talk about, well, I don't like going to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm like, well, where do you go that there aren't hypocrites? Because I'd like to see that because that's human nature and it's sad. I mean, you don't, you don't want that at church, of course, and that's a horrible thing. But uh, the fact is, you got people, you got problems. People, people are people. You know, and the, but you can tell a lot about a church by their bylaws. And, and maybe you never thought about that before. But if you read a church's bylaws, you can pretty much tell the history of the church. Because what will happen is if there's a problem, they'll legislate against it, it no doubt. It's pretty funny. And as you, well, it's sad, too. But as you read, you can see how they do, for instance, the membership, how stringent they are in the membership or how, how quick they are to get members off the roll, that kind of thing. Or, or if they've had a problem with a pastor, how quick they are to get it. If there's rules written in there about how to you know, get rid of a pastor, you're like, oh, they had to get rid of a pastor. You can see things. I remember years ago, this is, I was young in ministry, and there, um, I was really young in ministry, and um, we had this family in the church, no, nothing, there's nothing, everything I'm going to say tonight, let me say it this way, there's not one thing I'm going to say tonight that applies to this church as far as I know, just saying. But I was young in ministry, and uh, I knew, okay, the, we were kind of, the staff, we were a little bit shielded from the issues, but th- we knew that there was something going on, because they were scrambling around to find out, what do the bylaws say about who can vote? And, uh, you know, so... This is how old I am. There was only one computer at the church, so they're trying to get this thing to print the bylaws, and you know they're going to have to have them all out there, and they're going to have somebody out at a table, and they're going to check membership, and I'm like, what is going on? Well, this one family was pretty disgruntled, and so it was pretty funny. That wasn't funny. Here's what's funny is um, I was standing in the back as we were doing the ballots and that kind of thing, because at this church, the pastors didn't vote, and so we weren't part of any of that. We weren't mem- Anyways, just different. So we're standing there. And this, this whole family walks in after the meeting started. They all parade in. And so they all paraded in, and they all walked into the front row. No one was sitting on the front row. So they all got ready to sit on the front row. And, I mean, they filled up the whole row. And did I mention they were pews? Back then, we had pews. So they all looked at each other, and they all sat down in unison. Here's the funny part. You know what happened to the pew? The pew broke. It was so funny because, you know, here they were going to be making a big statement, and then that happened, and then people couldn't help but laugh because, I mean, the pew broke. It literally broke, kunk, kunk, and then went backward, and they're all struggling to get back up, and, you know, oh, my goodness sakes. It was good. I don't remember what they were upset about. I don't remember anything else about the meeting, but I will never forget that because when it broke, it cracked. It was wood, and it was a loud crack, and then they all stumbled back, and you couldn't help but laugh. It was just horrible. I'm just saying. So when I came to this church and found out we don't even check membership at a business meeting, annual business meeting, I thought, that's a good thing. Because what that means is you haven't had problems like that. We don't have problems. Problems are sad, but they're, they're human nature. Where you have people, you're going to have problems. And, and you know, I, <laughs> I hate to say this, but Christian people can sometimes act in a very unchristian way. And it's sad. Because you would hope that that wouldn't happen at church. You expect more at church. You expect, it to be, you expect it to be filled with spirit-filled believers who love the Lord, they love his word, they love his people, and they love each other, and they, they're kind, and they give, and they, right? Yes? That's what we expect. 
Absolutely. And maybe you've heard horrible church stories. I've got more. I don't want to tell them all tonight because some of them are frustrating. But what's sad is, you know, you, you see this. And what's sad is it's, it's not new. It's in the New Testament. I mean, that's what we're looking at tonight. Well, well, how would you define a good church? What would you say is a good church? What? 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 Say that again. Oh, Crown Point. I see. Okay, you get an A for the night for saying that. Now, how would you define a good church? What's a good church? Mission-minded. Okay. Loving, friendly. Okay, a church is carrying out that, God's mission for that church. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a church where people love each other, right? They're, they're on one mission together, united. Yeah. I think that's good. Sharing the good news of Jesus with everybody who, who they're serving, serving each other, serving. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if, if you had a church where there was, there was never a financial issue because everybody gave what they could give in their part, right? And there was never any need for volunteers because everybody did their part. Wouldn't that be amazing? Okay. That's just, you know, everybody's happy all the time. But here's what's sad is in this section of scripture we're going to look at, it, it actually calls, the, it, it juxtaposes God's wisdom with worldly wisdom. And it's, it's interesting because we'll see in there, it calls that wisdom, it says it's from hell. I mean, he uses pretty strong language here in talking about that. And, and you, it, even if you don't know what that looks like, you do know what it looks like because you've either experienced that, God forbid, I hope you haven't. Well, let me just ask, anybody here been through a church split? Okay. It's painful, isn't it? I, I hesitate to tell you the story just because it's so bizarre, but... But anyway, we, I, I've been through that at a young age, you know, and you watch that happen and you see people fight. We actually had almost a Romeo and Juliet thing happen. Did I ever tell you about, did I ever tell you about when my, this great aunt of mine had a dream the pastor was having an affair? Did I tell you about that? I hesitate to tell you because I don't want you to think church is full of evil, wrong things, but I have to tell you now. So she went and talked to the pastor because she was so disturbed. And he said, well, get out of the church. You, you can't be in this church. If you think I would ever do something like that, you need to leave and your whole family needs to leave. And we're like, whoa, what's going on? And, of course, that filtered through the family. I don't know if that would be gossip or it would be. All I know is that next Sunday night, another family member s- stood up and spoke in tongues. And then one of his family members kind of stood up and yelled at her in tongues. And I remember sitting there as a sixth grade going, is that... Is that how it's supposed to work? Because this is really weird. And uh, that was the last night we went to that church. But then one of their family married one of our family. And then they, it was always weird when they would come to events because it was just, you know. And it's, it's good how God does things, though, because years later as a youth pastor, those, the kids from that family were part of my youth group. And God heals, I'm just saying. But I've seen some weird, sad things. Because what happens is when the enemy gets involved, Think about what happens. It's a sick body. You see that? It's like a heart disease from the inside out, and, and it corrupts, and it, and it destroys unity, and it kills joy, and it evaporates prayer, and it dulls people's appetite for the word, and it, and it deadens worship, and it takes their focus off winning the lost after doing what you said, Aaron, about doing God's mission, and it gets the focus on each other and what their issues are and their fighting. And they're, instead of looking at the world, and, and then, then worse, it, it pushes people away and and um, it's sad. So let's look at this verse. And we've been talking about it a little bit. So if you are wise, 
and understand God's ways. Prove it by living an honorable life and doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. That's what we studied last week. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Man, he, he gets right after it. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. What he does is he, he, he lists two specific sins right there. He talks about bitter envy, not just envy, but bitter envy, not just ambition, but selfish ambition. He really adds to the whole thing. And I think the, I think the whole idea behind bitter envy is when you, I'm going to just read this list, list. It's when you, and you secretly regret your friends succeeding where you have not. And you believe that you would have been done better if you would have had the same breaks and opportunities that they had. Or you have a hard time believing that others have more talent than you. Or you feel like they've gotten you know, more advantage than you. Or you, you almost temper your compliments with the word but. Or you complain that others don't appreciate you as they should. Or you walk the other way instead of congratulating a friend on good fortune. Or you question other people's motives who show kindness, you can't rejoice with others when they're promoted, or you secretly gloat when someone gets caught because they had it coming, and you're quicker to criticize than you are to compliment. That bitter bitter envy, it leads to selfish ambition. It's like one leads into the other. And here's the problem is those problems start on the inside, so they're kind of hard to see. I mean, you see the effects of it, and then you can look back, but but when they're starting, it's hard sometimes to detect, and because of that, you, you can't always deal with it like you need to, and it's, it's a heart problem, and because it's a heart problem, it's hard to spot, and I think that's even more why God, in his wisdom, he tells us things like this. He says, above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. All these issues, whether good or bad, whether evil or not, whether, whether dissension or arguing, all those things start in the heart. They start right here, and because of that, it's, you've got to guard it with, with everything that you have. Sometimes it's hard to see it even coming on you. It's hard to notice. And then you, you, you start to react and you look back and you think, why did I react like that? Why am I feeling like this? And then you, if you can investigate, you realize there's something happening in your heart that's not healthy and it's not good. And, and you're, you're acting out of a heart that is hurting. Je- Jesus said it like this. This is the second part of that verse. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I used this verse a couple weeks ago, and it it just applies so much to James. And I I use this as an example, and I talked about how there's times where I'd say things and get in trouble at home, and my mom would always mention this verse. And she was right. She was right. Because I'd always say, well, I didn't mean it that way. Well, you said it that way. That's what it came from. And sometimes I'd say, well, it wasn't that bad. What I said wasn't bad. She goes, it wasn't, but it's the way you said it. It came out really, really mean. <laughs> What's interesting about this verse, it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Because if the heart is good, good things come out. And when it's not good, mean and cutting things come out, and, and dangerous things come out, and angry things come out. I mean, if the heart is hurting, then hurtful things come out. There's this old phrase, you hear it from time to time, but hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that? Hurt people hurt people. And when you speak out of that hurt, on the one hand, you can, you can feel justified to some degree, and, and, and we can step back and say, oh, it's sad that they're feeling so upset, they're angry, and they've got good reason to be. But still, it's coming out of the overflow of the heart. On the other hand, when, when goodness and grace and joy and all those other things come out, so if you're thinking angry thoughts, what's going to come out? Angry words, right? If your mind is filled with sexual fantasies, then you're going to find a way to fulfill those desires if If you dwell on problems, those problems are going to overwhelm you. If you 
If you feel like a victim, you will become one. If you give way to worry, don't be surprised when you can't sleep at night. And if you focus on how others misunderstand you, it's easy to become angry and bitter. And whatever's on the inside, it will come out. It will come out. That's why you got to worry about that. You know, the old com computer jargon, you know, garbage in, garbage out. What you put in comes out. I remember, I remember one time I was doing something, I don't remember what it was, and, and they, they had called the IT guy at the church I worked at, and, and as I, I followed him into this office, and we were walking in there, and the guy, this, the guy at the computer, he's got, this computer is so stupid. And the IT guy just kind of smiled, and he said, he goes, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's probably operator error, and he just started going on and you know, working with it, because it's a computer, it's just a machine. It's, it only does what it's programmed to do. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually make mistakes, we do. I mean, we're the operator that, that makes it do or not do. That's just how it is. The next verse, he says, uh, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are, he's talking about those other things. He's talking about the things in the last verse. Such things are earthly and unspiritual and demonic. I love how James does this. Does it? He doesn't need to, have you noticed that? He doesn't pull punches. He goes right to the heart of the matter and he goes right for the juggler and he says, these are demonic. I mean, that's really hyperbolic, right? I mean, don't, we don't talk like that very much, right? Hopefully you don't. You know, you don't call your children demon child and people say things and you say that's demonic. I hope you don't talk like that. But the fact is, James is saying, let me go back to that verse so you see what I'm talking about. Oh, I went the wrong way, sorry. He says here, um, he says here, that, that second part of the verse starting with, but, but if you're bitterly jealous there's, and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. That's what he's talking about. He says, those things are demonic. Bitterly jealous, selfish ambition, covering up the truth with boasting and lying. That is demonic is what he's saying there. That's harsh. It's tough. And James does that. He puts it right out there. It's scary because imagine if our church was in the middle of a staff hire that wasn't working out, or we had launched a new program that you didn't like, or in launching a new program, ended a program you did like, or what if the church was struggling financially? I'll tell you, board meetings are way better when there's money in the bank. Just saying. Amen, right? <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Or maybe the pastor said something that hurt your feelings or, or you didn't agree with, or maybe the music is something you don't like. I mean, those are all things we take really serious right and we have opinions on them and there's times where we can confuse our opinions with with what is godly and it's it's normal and natural to do that it's important those are important things or maybe voices are being raised or people are posting things on facebook and twitter i'll tell you there's times where facebook i hate it i love it and i hate it i do i, I love keeping up with family and friends and you know, I have so many students who I've worked with over the years who it's just fun to see their lives and what's going on and see their kids, and I enjoy that. And then at times like now, you know, a couple of you asked for prayer for our country, and we're in a season where it's just so vitriolic. Years ago, I, I, I've shared this many times, but years ago, I, I just decided I will not post anything like that again. And it was a time, I think I mentioned this, where I posted something. It wasn't even remote. I didn't think it was political, but someone read it as political, and they started posting things, and then somebody else started arguing with them on my Facebook on a post underneath on the feed. And a friend of mine texted me and said, have you seen your Facebook? There's like 25, 30 comments under a post you made, and it's getting ugly. What? I hadn't even noticed. I mean, I don't, I don't get those notifications on my phone. They're annoying, and I don't do it. So I didn't even notice that was happening. Here's the sad part. 
I'll just be, we'll be real transparent. Those were two people from Sheffield arguing with each other, and they, that church is big enough, they didn't even know they, they go to the same church. It's really, that part's comical. What was sad is, you, as I read through them, it's just making me sadder and sadder because they were completely missing each other's point, and both of them are good Christian people and on different sides of a political issue that I wasn't even talking about. So I, I deleted the post, and I messaged both of them individually and just said, Explain that. You don't realize this, but <laughs> you, you actually go to the same church and you're both really good loving people. And something's happened here where it's, it's going to become unhealthy. That's not a good thing. Church members, <laughs> you don't fight in each other. It's sad, isn't it? Somebody says something and you say it back. And here's what's sad about it is it's, it's really the way of the world. It's natural. It's human nature, right? You attack me, I attack you. And you say something unkind, I say it back, or something disrespectful, and I say something unloving. And it's sad because here we are Christians, and we're in the house of the Lord, and we know how to worship God, but at the same time, we also know how to destroy each other with words and be really cruel and mean, and it's sad. I mentioned this a second ago. It's church fights can get ugly because I think a lot of times we feel like we know what God would want, and we're fighting for him all of a sudden. At first, we were just fighting, but now we're fighting for him because we know that this thing is so important. We take an issue that may not be that big a deal, but we feel like we really know what God wants, and we tell ourselves that, and we're, we're ready to, oh my goodness, what are Nicole's uh, great uncles, God bless him, he, every time I would see him at a family event, he wanted to argue with me about choruses and hymns, and uh, I like hymns, and I would tell him that, but he said, but you probably don't do hymns, I said, well, we do some, I mean, we kind of did a hymn tonight, kind of a reworked hymn, right, and uh, he said, but those choruses, they just repeat the same few lines over and over, and it's just so silly and meaningless. It doesn't mean a thing, and people can't even communicate with God, and the hymns have, have theology in them, and they have good theology, and I, I couldn't even argue with him. That's, not, that's true, and they have good music, too. I mean, I would sometimes argue his side with him, which was funny, because then he would look, he goes, what are you doing right now? <laughs> I'm just, I agree with you in most part. But what's the point of singing a hymn or a chorus? What's the whole point? You know, and we try to get back to the heart of the issue. Is it, is it to worship God or not? You know, is it to worship him and do you connect with God? And, and is it about what you like or what they like? And oh my goodness sakes, God bless him. I love him. I get ready to fight and die over something like that. When I first went to this church in Minnesota, I walked into the youth ministry and they, it was a big, big church. Like at the time, 3,500 people in the youth group was like about 25. How can that be? Well, here's one reason it can be this way. I walked in in the youth ministry, and uh, I was observing that first night. I walked in, and the lights were all, re it was really dark, which I know a lot of people like that. I'm not saying it's not Christian. It just was different. And uh, the worship guy starting the service off, really, really deep, deep worship of music. It was beautiful. He's an amazing piano player, great singer. And all the kids were completely checked out. So I, I took him to lunch, you know, and I, I clearly needed to make some changes. And um, as I'm talking to him, I said, do you ever... Have you ever thought about maybe moving, ushering people into that, that really serious worship, starting off with some, you know, kind of what we do, some faster songs, and getting them to that place where they're ready to do that kind of worship? He goes, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that kind of worship. You know, I go, what do you mean? He goes, that's, that's outer court worship. I only do inner court worship. <laughs> I knew what he was talking about immediately. I mean, it was comical to me, but I said, you mean like the temple? Is that what you're talking about, the Jewish temple? Like, you don't start out in the outer court. You, you skip right through that and go right into the in, holy of holies. He goes, yeah. 
man, because if they're not mature enough to be in the holy of holies, then I, I, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and I just, I just laughed, you know, and I said, oh, my goodness. Well, here's the thing. We're, uh, <laughs> we, we helped him see the light, and, you know, I wanted to get people into the inner holy holies. Don't, don't we all want to get there? Okay. Here's the sad things. We all come to church with a certain set of expectations, don't we? I mean, a, a new, new believer or someone new to church, what do you think they expect? They come in and they probably have mixed expectations because they probably have, uh, on, maybe on some level, they're maybe afraid that we're judgmental and, or maybe they think we're spooky or who knows what they think. But what they do expect is that Christians are supposed to be super nice, right? They don't expect Christians to be fighting with each other. And, and if we do that, I mean, at church, you should expect to be heard and cared for. The sad thing is, though, that it is, as we do that, and if, if, if Christians are cantankerous and mean-spirited and cruel and unfortunately have seen that, hopefully you haven't, and we don't ever see that again. But the, the sad thing is you push people away from Christ with that. And then here's the thing I think that, that James is getting at. If you're not careful, you end up doing the enemy's work for him. He doesn't have to be be tempting and mean and all that. You're just doing it. You're the one pushing people away. He doesn't even have to do it anymore. And what, what James is saying is that kind of wisdom is, is earthly, my way or the highway. It's, it's unspiritual. It's human reasoning. It's not what he wants. And, and here's something you don't ever forget. The enemy loves a good fight. If he can get you fighting, he's won. He's won. He's won. He's won. He doesn't have to do anything else. He doesn't have to accuse the brethren. He just lets you fight. It's sad because that's how it is. And, and I think a lot of times people think they're on the side of, of right and good. And in the process, they're going to they're gonna die on that hill and they're going to take everybody with them. And the worst lies are the lies you tell yourself and you don't realize that you have become a tool of the enemy in doing what you thought was so righteous and right. He goes on to say, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. He, he goes right to the juggler. Christians aren't good at fighting, I'll just be honest with you. We're not. Let little disagreements become huge issues. Elevate secondary matters to primary matters and bitter arguments. You forget about Jesus in the middle of it. And Christian peace goes out the door and we're supposed to love each other and we're supposed to honor each other and we're supposed to put each other first and we're supposed to let let other people uh, be ahead of us. And, and Paul talks about in other places how you're supposed to serve even the weaker brethren and you have rights, but you're not supposed to claim them because what's more important is their faith and their salvation. If what I want or think is right would, would help someone lose their faith, even though they're the weaker. I mean, he goes into all this detail. The thing is, you dishonor the Lord, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And the sad thing is, it's our human tendencies. I had a, I had a guy who was a volunteer for me in a, in a church I worked in, and he was an amazing volunteer, one of the best I've ever had. Amazing, so good with students, such a good communicator. I, I talked to him, I said, I, I talked to him, I said, Darren, you need to go in the ministry. You'd be an amazing, amazing minister. And he was planning on it. He was gonna go to college, he was gonna go to the ministry. And then he called me one day and he said, um, I'm gonna still be a volunteer, but I don't think I'm gonna go in the ministry. I'm like, why? He goes, um, my mom, she just, they wouldn't pay for college if I did. I'm like, what? Your parents go to this church. What are you talking about? So I met with his parents, and here's what they said. They, they, I, some of you will understand this phrase, and I'll explain it for any of you that don't. They said, we're afraid if he sees how the sausage is made, he, don't, he won't want to be part of it anymore. So <laughs> when they said that, you know, I was thinking Upton Sinclair in the jungle, and I, my mind went a lot of weird places, but like, what are you getting at exactly? They'd been hurt in a church before. They'd had seen a pastor 
take advantage of people in a church and they'd seen a they'd seen a church split and they'd seen horrible things at the hand of ministry and they said we do not want our son to lose his faith because he sees how difficult things could be in a church and the business of church sometimes is very unchristian and we can't we can't have that <laughs> so sad he's an amazing teacher by the way he's a teacher in a school and he's he's one uh, teacher of the year in their school i don't think he's won it for for the district or whatever but he's an amazing teacher he would have been an amazing minister but isn't that a sad sad thing here's here's what's sad is we send a message to the world sometimes that god loves you but we hate each other not this church not you and and hopefully never it ever would be that way he goes on to say in here that if you think about what he's saying he said envy combined with selfish ambition equals disorder it equals something, and some of the other translations, I love doing this, where the word disorder, sometimes it's, it's translated confusion or chaos or disharmony or insurrection. Who, who do you think is at the heart of that? Who does that sound like? Doesn't it sound like this guy? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give them life and life more abundantly. I mean, if the church is working right, it's a beautiful thing, and it scares the enemy. And, and, and really, Jesus said that, that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. That doesn't, you realize gates don't move, right? I think we've read that a lot of times, that verse, and understood it as if the, the hell is attacking the church. That's not what he means. The gates are stay, they're static. They stay put. What he's talking about is the church should be advancing on the kingdom of evil and, and, and seeing people come into heaven. I love how Pastor Newby would say it sometimes. He wants to depopulate hell. That's what the church is supposed to be doing if it's working right. But unfortunately, if it's not working right, and again, I'm not talking about this church. I'm just talking about Christians. And when they're fussing and fighting and gossiping and disagreeing, James called it evil of every kind. It's a lot of evil. So if we could summarize those three verses, he says, wrong heart attitudes, actions that are unearthly, or pardon me, earthly, unspiritual, and devilish plunges the church into disorder and widespread spiritual sickness. James, I love James. How do we fight it? What do you do? Here's what you do. You choose to have the mind of Christ. Most of the time, it's a choice. You can choose that. You can choose not to be offended. You can choose to be unoffendable. You can choose not to let people um, have that. You, you, you give them the opportunity, and you give them the right, and you just choose not to have that. You choose to have the right spirit. And, and it's a very biblical thing, and it doesn't mean that you are walked on. It doesn't mean any of that. In fact, if you think about this verse this way, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed, used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. That, that verse we talk about a lot of times in saying that we use scripture for all those things. Those things are still possible and also have the mind of Christ. D do you see how those go together? It might be a stretch for some of you to understand what I'm trying to say here. What I'm saying is you can still use the scripture and teach and rebuke and correct and train in righteousness and still be someone who has the mind of Christ and a heart, uh, a spiritual heart that is caring. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle word deflects anger. When Lily, our, she just turned 14 on Monday, when she was in... Um, impact and she was younger this was one of her verses they learned one one time it was so funny she she was our child who would do this if grace is, was always stirring stuff up and lily would say she would say a gentle answer answer deflects anger she would just say that like that was she felt like she was doing it if she said that which was funny because that didn't deflect any anger that created anger but it was comical to watch her because she thought she was deflecting anger by having a gentle attitude and she she had the right spirit she just didn't know how to say it because she was a little kid but it was comical 
gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. Um, there's a book by um, guy, a guy named Osberger called Carefronting. He, he kind of played with the whole confronting. And here's what he said. It, the whole point of his book was, if you care about people, you will confront. You have to care enough to confront. Who, who enjoys confrontation? Some may. I, it's, it's okay. There's personalities who do. Most of us don't, though, right? Most of us would avoid it, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean I, there's not Carol. <laughs> Carol's like, bring it, bring it. No, okay. But no, no, it is necessary. And here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. L- things left unconfronted. There are things that do need to be confronted. And, and that's a very Christian thing to do. And if you care about the relationship, then you have to confront sometimes. That is the truth, that love would, would compel you to confront. I mean, it, it is true. I mean, think of it like this, and this may be too extreme, but, you know, you, well, I mean, you may see somebody who, who, who's got, you know, maybe there's a sore on their arm, and it, it's, have you ever seen one that's infected, and they don't seem to notice? But you care, because you're, so you're going to say something. And it may be awkward and uncomfortable, and there's ways to do it where you, you care. But let's look at Scripture. Jesus used this. He talked about this. He said, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. So is that on Facebook? <laughs> Is that going to their boss? No. Is it telling everybody, all your friends? No. This is where we usually mess it up, right here. It's going personally. Now, that doesn't mean it solves everything all the time. And, and most people, not only do people not enjoy confrontation, who likes being confronted? <laughs> we may like that less, right? But if somebody comes to you in love, and then he's, Anyway, look, it says, if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won the person back. The goal is winning the person back. The goal is restoration. Your goal is, your goal is not to set them right. Your goal is restoration. See the difference? Then Jesus goes on. He says, but if you are unsuccessful, then take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. That's just wisdom. And, and at this point, you've already talked to him personally. And, and somebody may feel ganged up on, but the fact is you've, you've tried to reconcile. The point still is reconciliation. And then Jesus goes even further and says, if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. And I would hope it would never get to that point. But what Jesus is trying to say is we need to deal with these things personally. That's not the way, world's way, though, is it? That's not how the world would do it, Right? They just blast them and move on, or they tell everybody else about it, or they just don't do anything. But the fact is, God wants these things to be reconciled in the church. Something else we do as a church that changes the way we do all these things is we restore. We care about people and go through the hard work of restoration. In Galatians 6, look at this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, gently and humbly, gently and humbly, help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That humility is built into that verse. It's just built in because if you, oh, he goes on. Share each other's burdens and in this way we obey the law of Christ. You share the burden, share it. So you're not pointing a finger, you're picking it up with them. And if you think you're too important to help someone, you're not only fooling yourself because you are not that important. (laughs) Do you think you'd read that in the Bible, that phrase? (laughs) 
And uh, then Jesus, of course, when he's talking about that log, he says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Can you think, uh, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that speck out of your eye when you can't even see past a log in your own eye? Oh, my goodness. He says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I think it all comes down to this. And I, I, again, I, nothing I've said tonight applies to us as far as I know. But you know what? The fact is, it applies to us perhaps in our life, in our daily life. And, and I just, I think it would be appropriate for us to end with this, this verse. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a sec. And again, I I only do that to give a semblance of privacy in a room full of people. The fact is, um, I don't know of an issue like this in our church. And I I honestly do not know of any history of that kind of thing. Some of you have raised your hands talking about you had experienced a church split. and, And that's a horrible, sad thing. And I've certainly uh, walked through some of those things as a young person. But here's the thing. God forbid we would have to deal with any of that. And God forbid that the world would see us being unkind and unchristian in any way toward one another. So, so maybe here tonight as we've been kidding around and being funny about some of these verses and some of them are very pointed and maybe even as we talked about confronting and you know that there's somebody in your world and your life that you do need to confront because there's an issue that that will not be taken care of unless you do, but it's something you've been trying to avoid, and now maybe God is putting it on your heart to make that happen. Maybe there's a, an issue where your attitude has been un, unkind. Let me just ask you to do this. Since we are all sinners, and that last verse that's up on the screen just says, if you think you're without sin, you're deceiving yourself. Let's not be deceived. Let's do this tonight as we close. David, if you would put some music on and... and uh, I'm going to leave you for a minute, though, for you to just just to contemplate that for a minute and just say, God, where am I with all this? What what, is there anything in me that needs to be cleansed or needs to be different? God, is there part of my personality or my attitude or maybe there's some anger I need to deal with or whatever it is, God, that you would reveal that and you would help me to come to terms with that. And that, God, that you would forgive me. Just simply ask him to forgive. He wants to. And he wants to help you live righteously that way so that we would continue to be about his mission. Father, bless us tonight, I pray. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, help us with anything in our, in our heart and mind that would be ungodly and not glorifying to you and not helpful to you in reaching this world. God, we don't want anything like that between us and anybody, whether they're in our family or close family or relatives or friends or work or school or anywhere we come in contact with people help us God to live like you would live we want to be the best examples possible of of faith in you in Jesus name we pray I invite you to just spend some moments and just spend some moments with him and when you feel like you've done that you're free to go